The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. The third weekend of September 2020, the lost year, the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness approaches. 150 years ago, September 18th, 1870, in what is now Yellowstone National Park. Uh, Well, it's not really Yellowstone National Park right now, because like everywhere else, it's in almost total lockdown. But you know what I mean? Uh, The geezer, Old Faithful, was observed and so named by Henry Washburn during his expedition to Wyoming. They came down the Far Hole River, entered the Upper Geezer Basin, and saw Old Faithful spouting. As Washburn's comrade Nathaniel Langford wrote, it spouted at regular intervals nine times during our stay. The columns of boiling water being thrown from 90 to 125 feet at each discharge, which lasted from 15 to 20 minutes. We gave it the name of Old Faithful. A geezer that can spout great columns of boiling froth 125 feet in the air like Joe Biden in his prime before he was reduced to cautiously moving his head an inch or two sideways to Latino songs he's never heard before. Speaking of erupting geezers... Who can I turn to? When nobody needs me My heart wants to go So I must know Where my destiny leads me Oh, that's a great record of that song. Who can you turn to when the Churchill de nos jours has banned gatherings inside and out of more than six people and is threatening the United Kingdom with another total lockdown? Step forward, the great Irish rocker Van Morrison. There's a funny bit in Don Black's splendid new book, The Sanest Guy in the Room. I'll let you in on that title a little ways down the road. But we've got more on Don and on uh, today. Don writes songs with Savan and says <laughs> when he first walks in the room, uh, Van looks like a guy who's just been told his plane's been cancelled, which is true. But he's not always wrong to be cranky. As Van Morrison said the other day, he and Andrew Lloyd Webber are just about the only two guys standing up for what's left of British show business as it gets totally obliterated by lockdown. Uh, So Savan has now actually started writing songs about a lockdown. Uh, First up, this song called No More Lockdown. No more lockdown, no more government overreach, no more fascist bullies disturbing our peace, no more taking of our freedom and our God-given rights, pretending it's for our safety when it's really to enslave. 
Uh, Owen, no more, quote, imperial college scientists making up crooked facts. That's a lyrical reference to Professor Pantsdown, Neil Ferguson, with his lockdown for thee but not for me, uh, as he had his mistress with the open marriage smuggled in for all-night COVID horizontal mambo sessions. Also uh, from this uh, Van Morrison song, no more, quote, celebrities telling us what we're supposed to feel. Savan is as sick as I am of zoomed-in sing-alongs of supposedly edgy hipsters parroting the government line. Well, I like the cut of Van's lyrical jib. The first of these new songs, Born to be Free, will be released next week. And we'll play it here, if only because they won't be playing it on the BBC. Last month, Van Morrison challenged his, quote, fellow singers, musicians, writers, producers, promoters and others in the industry to fight with me on this. Come forward, stand up, fight the pseudoscience and speak up. He's right. There is a lot of pseudoscience uh, and uh, the lockdown... Uh, that has been imposed as a result of it is, alas, not a pseudo-lockdown, but too real. In Germany, Angela Merkel's chum, the Christian Democrat backbencher Detlef Sief, has also uh, strongly criticised the British government. Quote, The United Kingdom was for me... I'll do it in a German accent. The United Kingdom was for me in the past always a state that upheld the rule of law and with which one could negotiate... But with this behaviour, Britain is joining the ranks of despots and regimes like those in Russia, Turkey, China and North Korea. I don't think Britain wants to be included in that group, but it has earned that classification. Oh my, it's good to see a German Member of Parliament speak out against Boris's tyrannical lockdown. Oh, wait, no. He's not speaking out about that at all. Herr Sief is all con- is all cool with the lockdown. Instead, he's speaking out about Boris's threat to undo the transitional Brexit arrangements with the EU. Well, good for Boris. The EU has recently made threats about preventing Northern Ireland, Van Morrison's fiefdom, uh, from exporting food to England, Scotland and Wales. In other words, even though the United Kingdom is no longer in the EU and is supposedly a fully sovereign state once more, the European Union can decide whether one part of the United Kingdom can ship goods to another part of the United Kingdom. Next thing you know, they'll be preventing the export of Savan's anti-lockdown songs from Belfast to Manchester. In response to these and other provocations, my old friend Boris Johnson is losing it. Our old specky colleague, uh, Toby Young, has given up on him. And there are grumblings from what less than a year after a tremendous general election victory should be a solid, loyal Tory caucus. Setting aside the politics, Boris has always been a bon vivant, boozing, Uh, eating, shagging his way around town. Bon vivant means literally good living. You're a good liver. As Toby Young reminds us, Boris is the bloke who promised that if you vote Tory, your wife's breasts will get bigger 
and you'll increase your chances of owning a BMW M3 uh, to drive around showing off the new knockers in the passenger seat. Ah, what a buoyant, optimistic vision of life under a Conservative government. It has not come to pass. I haven't seen the scientific evidence from uh, Professor Ferguson at Imperial College, uh, but I do not believe that uh, British breasts have been getting bigger. Uh, if anything, they may be heading in the opposite direction from all that lockdown uh, and the lack of vitamin D. Uh, and, of course, uh, you are no longer really free to just uh, drive around uh, showing off her enormous knockers uh, to the locals because uh, movement is discouraged unless it is for essential purposes. And I do not believe uh, showing off uh, the missus's bristols comes uh, under those uh strictures. Uh, at any rate, Boris the Bon Vivant has managed to drain all the living, all the life out of the United Kingdom. The new Joyless Johnson is a grey commissar inflicting his so-called Covid marshals on the realm uh, to ensure that his subjects are complying with all the new rules limiting all gatherings inside and out to six persons or less. Ooh, 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 but there's been an uptick in cases. Yeah, yeah. We've never talked about cases on this show because it's a, a useless uh, and stupid metric. Deaths are way down. Hospitals are empty because there are insufficient COVID victims to fill them. And the people who do need to go to hospital, people with cancer or a broken leg, are staying away because they think the wards are all full of corona cases. Instead of protecting the most vulnerable, the UK, uh, just like Andrew Cuomo's New York and most of Europe and everywhere else, has actually killed the most vulnerable. Those unfortunates trapped in supposedly government-regulated care homes uh, that turned out not to be uh, government-regulated to any meaningful effect. Um, so victim-wise, a lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been plucked and crushed by the likes of Governor Cuomo. Our down-under doyen of the Mark Stein Club, Kate Smythe, proposes that Donald Trump campaign on the slogan Make America Normal Again. That was more or less Warren Harding's pledge a century ago in the 1920 campaign, a return to normalcy. That's not part of the plan for any Western politician right now. Once you accept that nothing serious will be done to punish China uh, for what it has inflicted on the rest of the world, why should the rest of the world live as non-bon vivants, non-bon vivants in perpetuity? Ah, but having failed to control the virus and having made no effort to control the evil regime that gave us the virus, there's nothing left for Western governments but to keep controlling us. Do you know the show Cheer? And your husband wants to be a girl. Be glad there's one place in the world where everybody knows your name. No, not Cheers. Cheer. All very singular. It's on Netflix, like everything else. Jerry Harris, the star of Cheer, has been arrested by federal authorities and charged with production of child pornography. Netflix says, quote, Like everyone, we are shocked by this news. Any abuse of minors is a terrible crime and we respect the legal process. Uh, then they went back to watching Cuties, the new Netflix hit about child sexuality, with scenes of 11-year-old 
old girls. Oh, can we see those preteen twerkers again? Baby, shake that middle school booty. Only uptight conservatives get wound up about this sort of thing, as one Netflix star is in the slammer on child porn charges. Other, younger, grade five Netflix stars are grinding their prepubescent butts for the profit and enrichment of America's number one streaming service. So it all evens out. The Mark Stein Show presents Hey, leader, strike down the brand. 1845. Born from the great splits over slavery. After 175 years, the Southern Baptist Convention is no more, at least under that name. The largest Protestant denomination in America and the second largest Christian denomination after the Catholic Church is no more, at least under that brand. They will now be calling themselves Great Commission Baptists because the word Southern has overtones of slavery and racism. Is the Great Commission just part of the Great Transition by which they will join the Congregationalists and Episcopalians as post-Christian churches? Well, the head honcho of the Great Commission, Convention President J.D. Greer, says, quote, Our Lord Jesus was not a white Southerner, but a brown-skinned Middle Eastern refugee. Ah, yes, just another desperate young man with a beard trying to make it to Germany or Sweden for a shot at all that Northern European welfare. The virtue-signalling tosspot who runs Princeton University, a man called Christopher Eisgruber, was doing a bit of what he assumed was harmless guilt-tripping the other day, and so sent out a letter saying, quote, racism and the damage it does to people of colour nevertheless persist at Princeton. Racist assumptions from the past also remain embedded in structures of the university itself, unquote. And while he was still patting himself on the back for that, the U.S. Department of Education announced it was opening an investigation into Princeton on the grounds that President Eisgruber's admission was in breach of the Title VI mandates under which Princeton had received more than $75 million in federal funding. Uh, this Eisgruber guy's already confessed to the crime. Take him at his word and close Princeton down. Election note. Coming down to the final straight... That's not the last heterosexual man in America, although it might as well be. The Joe Biden lead in the Real Clear Politics poll of polls has fallen to below 6%. True, Texas and Florida remain toss-ups, and without both, no Republican can win. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, says he can work with Joe Biden. The latest polls show Senator Graham tied with his Democrat challenger. So it may be that uh, if the senator is working with Joe Biden, it'll be down at the 7-Eleven. Well, polls, whatever. But if the race is tightening, the Trump campaign is supposedly short of money to buy ads in all those battleground states. It's blown through the best part of a billion bucks with nothing to show for it. Where did that money go? Brad Parscale, the talentless ass, 
who was appointed to run the campaign in 2018 and then removed after the Tulsa fiasco, Brad Parscale has made from that campaign, between him and his various quote-unquote companies, $38.9 million. This is a guy who was a website designer in San Antonio just a couple of years ago. While running the campaign, he managed to buy a $2.4 million waterfront property in Fort Lauderdale, a couple of million dollar condos, a $400,000 boat, and half a million bucks worth of cars, including a Ferrari. So this corrupt idiot buggered up the Trump campaign, perhaps beyond repair. If Trump wins, it will be despite his campaign, not because of it. Uh, But he's managed to get three luxury properties, a yacht, a Ferrari, and still have $33 million in cash left over to show for it. I love the Trump campaign of 2015-2016. No entourage, uh, no consultants, no uh, focus groupers, no frauds, no chances. Just Trump and Hope Hicks and Corey Lewandowski, who, whatever you feel about them, didn't come away from that campaign with $38.9 million. A pass scale is the swamp. You can't drain the swamp with men like Parscale. Trump 2020 has been just the usual conservative ink grifter orgy. Men like Parscale disgust me. They know it's wrong. They know it's wrong. They know that they've done nothing to deserve a $2.4 million waterfront property. God, God rot guys like that. And, uh, and we should not forget also uh, the man at the top who enabled scale to get away with that. People ask me why I don't talk more about all the horse race and palace intrigue stuff of American politics. Because these guys make me puke. I'm supposed to cheerlead because scale is nominally on my side? I don't even want to mention the guy. Because if you mention people like Brad Parscale, the stink of him lingers on you for the rest of the day. Escape the quarantine by delving into fantastic fiction chosen and read by Mark Stein himself in Stein's Tales for Our Time. Thrillers, mysteries, science fiction, romance, tales that transcend genre, everything from classics to titles hidden in the upper shelves. Mark Stein Club members can listen to the full catalog of nearly three dozen Tales for Our Time. Hear them all by going to www.steinonline.com tfot. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. That Joe Biden soundbite about the quartermaster in the ladies' department is in its way kind of impressive. If you could take care, if you were a quartermaster, you can sure in hell take care of running a, you know, a department store uh, thing, you know, where in the second floor of the ladies' department or whatever, you know what I mean? You can see why he's been so happy in his basement these last six months. He makes no sense to the outside world, but in his honeycombed mind there is some rich interior existence in which Joe rappels down into the ravine to rescue Esther Williams from Corn Pop and Victor Mature's lion dog-faced pony soldier. Which put me in mind 
of this marvellous poem from the 16th century. My mind to me a kingdom is. Joe Biden's mind may seem a wasteland to outside observers, but inside all kinds of startling occurrences are breaking out all over the vast, unbounded kingdom stretching beyond the far horizon. You know the thing. For many years, uh, this piece was thought to be by the courtier poet Sir Edward Dyer. And then late in the 20th century, scholars began arguing that, in fact, it was by the 17th Earl of Oxford. If you have a hard time keeping your Earls of Oxford straight, the 17th is the one who is sometimes said to have written Shakespeare's plays. He is also the subject of one of the most memorable passages in John Aubrey's lovely book, A Brief Lives, which delighted me as a schoolboy. And the book itself is one of those works I like if I'm uh, laid up in bed and just want something to dip in and out of for 20 minutes uh, in between taking the medicine and its effects kicking in. And while one is dipping in and out, one comes across this arresting vignette in which Lord Oxford is brought into the presence of Queen Elizabeth I and bows low, so low, in fact, that he breaks wind. This is why, if you are ever ushered into the presence of the sovereign, one should bow only from the neck, less chance of any embarrassment. I mention this only because uh, Joe Biden seems likely to be entering this phase well before the next G7. Anyway, the Earl of Oxford was so mortified by his flatulence before the Queen and the court that he immediately left England and went travelling abroad for the next seven years, at which point he thought he'd put sufficient time and distance between him and the flatulence that he could now go back. Quote from John Aubrey. On his return, the Queen welcomed him home and said, My Lord, I had forgot the fart. First published in 1588 in William Byrd's Psalms, Sonnets and Songs by Sir Edward Dyer or possibly the Earl of Oxford. My mind to me a kingdom is. My mind to me a kingdom is, such perfect joy therein I find that it excels all other bliss that world affords or grows by kind. Though much I want which most men have, yet still my mind forbids to crave. No princely pomp, no wealthy store, no force to win the victory, no wily wit to salve a sore, no shape to feed each gazing eye. To none of these I yield as thrall, for why my mind doth serve for all. I see how plenty suffers oft, how hasty climbers soon do fall. I see that those that are aloft mishap doth threaten most of all. They get with toil, they keep with fear. Such cares my mind could never bear. Content I live, this is my stay. I seek no more than may suffice. I press to bear no haughty sway. Look what I lack, my mind supplies. Lo, thus I triumph like a king, content with that my mind doth bring. Some have too much, yet still do crave. I little have, and seek no more. 
They are but poor, though much they have, and I am rich with little store. They poor, I rich, they beg, I give, they lack, I leave, they pine, I live. I laugh not at another's loss, I grudge not at another's gain, no worldly waves my mind can toss. My state at one doth still remain, I fear no foe, nor fawning friend. I loathe not life, nor dread my end. Some way their pleasure by their lust, their wisdom by their rage of will, their treasure is their only trust, and cloaked craft their store of skill. But all the pleasure that I find is to maintain a quiet mind. My wealth is health and perfect ease, my conscience clear, my chief defence. I neither seek by bribes to please, nor by deceit to breed offence. Thus do I live, thus will I die, would all did so, as well as I. A poem from me to you, either by Sir Edward Dyer or by the Earl of Oxford. Uh, and um, a good way to maintain a calm equilibrium when your campaign shuts you up in the basement for half a year. My mind to me a kingdom is, such perfect joy therein I find. Corn pop, pony soldiers, quartermasters in the second floor ladies department. Across the bars of Joe Biden's basement window, the kingdom stretches to the far horizon. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. A week ago, we brought back our Clubland Q&A from its COVID lockdown, and people seem to like it, so we're going to do it again. And as you know, uh, I usually like to end those shows with a jollier non-political question, and my eye alighted on this one, and it's certainly non-political, uh, but it wasn't in the least bit jolly and made me sadder than anything else, so I set it to one side. But it's related to where we came in with Van Morrison and the death grip in which Western governments presently hold their citizens and their liberties. Uh, Nicola Timmerman writes from one of the beautiful Francophone communities of eastern Ontario. Any chance of a Stein Christmas show in person? Of course, the Canadian government still has the borders to traffic closed, with some exceptions to and from the US, air traffic permitted. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> this, that, that last bit <coughs> is all a bit iffy, Nicola. <coughs> But uh, Nicola was at our Christmas show last year. Uh, if you fish it out and watch it on video, she's the lady in the Santa Claus hat at one of the front tables. And the short answer, Nicola, is no, there's no chance of a Stein Christmas show in person because it would be illegal. Uh, and this is why I'm so sympathetic to Van Morrison's campaign, because the alternative is letting the commissars keep the Mark Stein Christmas show illegal in perpetuity. On our Christmas shows, we usually have guests from at least three countries, um, often more, and that's simply 
uh, not possible anymore. And by the way, that's why we don't do them in America generally, because in America you'll fly in a guest from Canada or Ireland or Australia, and there's always a chance that some Department of Homeland toss pottery wanker will invent some rule out of his posterior and deny them entry. So generally it's more prudent to fly an American into Canada than a Canadian into America. But now everywhere's the Department of Homeland toss pottery because the rules change week on week. So it might be legal for an Irishman to fly to Canada uh, without a two-week quarantine when you book the flight. But, oh, there's an uptick of cases in Mullingar. So now the rules for incoming Irishmen have changed. Uh, we, we we know this because we, we're tracking this. We're desperate uh, to do something live. And uh, so we, we keep an eye on this stuff day by day. And the rules uh, coming in or out of many countries change on a daily basis. But then even if you get them in, what can you do? As you know, Nicola, uh, our preferred venue in Quebec, where we did last year's Christmas show, is a place I've loved for years. Peggy Lee played there. Peggy Lee. Uh, it's old and intimate, so it looks great on camera, but it also means the stage is very small. So our band and the singers and the actors and the comedians and the backup vocalists and everybody else are all very close together. That now is impossible to do. You'd be raided by the coppers. Uh, then there's the audience. You can only do it, if at all, at 25% capacity. Um, and as Van Morrison has pointed out, you can't make a living on that. Um, it becomes very expensive to book a 2,000-seat theatre in order to sell 500 tickets. Uh, and I, I said this to someone, I mentioned this on Rush, because I said it's someone in the music business who knows this but wasn't thinking right. So uh, she goes, well, why doesn't uh, Van just book a 500-seat theatre? Well, in that case, you could only sell 125 tickets. He might decide he wants to do the end of a love affair in an intimate little cabaret with only 80 seats. He could only have 20 people in there. He might as well do house calls. And also, 500 people in a 2,000-seater is also kind of depressing. It's not the same. Last year, when we swung through western New York and Pennsylvania, we were basically playing 2,000-seaters. And we didn't sell out everywhere. Syracuse was a problem because they had a basketball game or something. But we came pretty close. We did all right. And I'll let you in on a secret. If you go and see a singer or a comedian or a string quartet or whatever, watch for the moment when they walk out on stage. Because uh, a lot of them are like me. Uh, when I'm at, uh, you know, the Kodak Centre in Rochester, the first thing I do when I walk out on stage is scan the auditorium because you want to see whether you've sold out the upper balcony or if they've had to close it off. So you look way up and to the back. Uh, because you want to see whether they've sold enough tickets that the upper balcony is open and uh, and hopefully is, is sold out. And if it is open, you relax, because whatever you're doing that night, a comedy sketch or a big song uh, or an in-depth uh, analysis of the Iranian nuclear program, you're going to get a big wave of laughs or applause that goes rolling all the way to that upper balcony to echo to the rafters. That laughter has died. That applause has died all over the world. The sound engineers at those theatres, if they're working at all, they're working at Price Chopper. This is not how a free people live, whether you're one of the millions who've seen Van Morrison over the years or the two dozen uh, other fans who, like uh, Nicola Timmerman, are pining for a Mark Stein Christmas show. 
and the general slough of despond of a Western world in permanent semi-lockdown will do far more damage to public health in the broadest sense than COVID-19 ever could. Curtain up, light the lights, we've got nothing to hit but the heights. Sing it, Van! And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. Mickey Rooney would have been 100 years old this coming week, and he almost made it. He died at the age of 93 in 2014. He had eight wives, starting with Ava Gardner, so it was downhill from there. And when you have seven exes, you're pretty much guaranteed to die broke, which he did. In his last years, he was bled dry and testified to the United States Senate about so-called elder abuse, which he claimed to have suffered uh, from various of his near and dear ones. Uh, But showbiz-wise, he just staggered on. He was a child star with Judy Garland in all those Andy Hardy movies. And when he grew up, uh, he didn't really grow up enough. He was five foot two, so he was never going to be a leading man. And he settled down to weird cameos like that of the buck-toothed Japanese uh, guy in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. He made a spectacular comeback on Broadway in Sugar Babies and his uh, duets with Ann Miller on Sunny Side of the Street and the When You and I Were Young Maggie Blues blaze in my memory about as vividly as anything. It wasn't such a hit in the West End and I remember Louis Benjamin who ran uh, Stoll Moss, the biggest theatre owners in London at that time. I remember Louis saying to me he never thought Uh, it would work because, as he put it, Mickey Rooney had, quote, gone bald in the wrong way. And I said, what do you mean going bald the wrong way? And Louis said he looked like a very wrinkled penis popping out the top of a suit. And I met Mickey Rooney about a week later. And it has to be said that when he's like 18 inches away from the end of your nose uh, in a tuxedo, that description by Louis Benjamin is hard to get out of your mind. Anyway, Mickey Rooney spent much of his screen career playing songwriters. Here he is in uh, Words and Music uh, playing Lawrence Hart of Rogers and Hart pitching Manhattan to a would-be publisher. The city's clamour can never spoil The dreams of a boy and Goyle We'll turn Manhattan into an isle of joy Well, it's nice, but a bit off the beaten track. And here he is with Judy in Babes in Arms with another alleged composition of his. Good morning. Good morning. Sell it, Ma, sell it. Good morning, my darling, to you. How was it? Where'd you swipe that? Oh, quit your kidding. Words and music by Michael Z. Moran. Why don't sweep the country? <laughs> but while he was pretending to write uh, all these already written songs on screen, off screen, Mickey Rooney uh, was writing songs for real, songs of his own. Here he is with a number he wrote with Fred Finkelhoff, a uh, not particularly successful screenwriter and uh, the husband of Ella Logan. 
uh, the aunt of Annie Ross and a great Broadway star whom we were talking about in this very spot just a few weeks back. Mickey Rooney sings Mickey Rooney. I couldn't be more in love, in love. I couldn't be more in love. I'm singing out loud and I'm high on a cloud. Feel right at home when I'm out in a crowd. I couldn't be more in love. That's a horrible orchestration. But in fairness, I couldn't be more in love isn't a bad title for a song. Uh, unfortunately, Mickey and Mr. Finkelhoff fail to lift it into a great song for fairly obvious reasons. When he comes back to the title at the end of that uh, main phrase there, uh, they needed to take it up or take it down or do something with it. But instead, they just do it the way they did it right at the top. And so the song just feels like it's treading water. There's no narrative thrust to it. Uh, Mickey Rooney wrote this next one with Sidney Miller, who had a small part in the film Boys Town, uh, with Mickey as the wrestling announcer and ended his career as an in-demand sitcom director for Bewitched, Get Smart, The Monkees, The Addams Family. This is Judy Garland's sweet, tender record of Oceans Apart. Oceans Apart And with only the blue between Since we're apart I'm yearning I tell my heart We must wait for another dawn When he may be returning How I regret the night He said for another shore Will he come in to sight To leave my arms no more I'll kiss him again He'll know right from the very start That we were never meant to be Oceans above. That is a lovely song and a lovely record. And when I found it and started listening to a lot of other Mickey Rooney songs, I had an idea to put them all in a little uh, stage review for the Edinburgh Festival or some such. And then, as often happens, I lost confidence in the idea because I listened to them over and over and they all started to begin to sound like things you'd use uh, if you needed a song for a movie scene with the radio playing in the background or a uh, nightclub canary singing uh, in a little after-hours spot and you hadn't been able to get the rights to any of the real uh, big songs of the 30s or 40s, so you'd found some guy to write something typical of the period. Uh, they, all, they all began to feel typical in that sense. But Mickey Rooney had a lot of A-list friends and occasionally they liked his stuff enough to record it. Here's Nat King Cole singing a Christmas song by Mickey Rooney. Little Christmas tree No one to buy you Give yourself to me 
You're worth your weight in precious gold, you see My little Christmas tree There's got to be a little autobiography in that when you're a very short star among all those tall guys, just like being a little Christmas tree among all those Rockefeller Center-sized pines. A sweet Christmas song uh, that never quite joined the ranks of seasonal standards. It was my friend Don Black, uh, the Oscar-winning, Tony-winning lyricist of Born Free, Diamonds Are Forever. You've heard him on our show many times over the years. Don turned me on to this next song because he's always liked it. Uh, It has a good title, Spoken For. Spoken For. Uh, I don't know whether anyone uses that expression today, but they did back then. And Sammy Davis Jr. loved this number and sang it on stage, on TV and on record. Spoken For The lady's been spoken for More and more I find I adore She's mine to miss The lady is mine to miss And I know what a careless kiss can do I know I'll never forget her I'll act my age and behave I'll set a flame to her letters Just like they do on the stage Laughing eyes The lady has laughing eyes Paradise can never be mine So I'll stand back and be one of the pack And water each day more and more Cause the lady I love has been spoken for Sammy Davis Jr. sings Mickey Rooney. Uh, Mickey wrote this with Van Alexander, who scored a lot of his films and TV shows in the 50s and 60s. And maybe it's dated, but it's dated in the best way. So I'll stand back and be one of the pack and want her each day more and more Cause the lady I love has been spoken for Spoken Four. Mickey Rooney, songwriter.
That will do it for today's show. Stick with Stein Online through the weekend for more music and, of course, for Kathy Shadle's movie column. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.